this morning. I just want to uh, recognize that this has been uh, a tragic week for some in our uh, country. And we've, if you've watched the news at all, you're ready to stop watching the news. And um, I want to just spend just a minute or two remembering and praying for the families that lost some loved ones this week. You know, and while we pray for them, it's pretty obvious to me that across the country, scores if not hundreds of families lost loved ones this week. Drug overdose, accident, victim of violent crime, you name it. Um, But for this particular group of people in Parkland, Florida, they're kind of in the national spotlight. And I feel badly for them uh, about that because, you know, grief, at least for me, if it was me, I'd want to grieve alone. Uh, So let's just take a few minutes and let's remember them. Let's pray for them, for these families that are grieving. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we just want to come before you and we want to recognize that there are many, many hurting people in our nation. And yet there are some, Lord, whose family members have been on televisions all across the country and the world. And for them, uh, this morning is particularly painful. So, God, would you do your thing? Would you heal? Would you restore? Would you reconcile people to you? Uh, Would you bring uh, beauty from ashes? And would you make lemonade out of these lemons? And, God, would you carry these families through this particular time of intense grief and sorrow and loss? And, Lord, we pray for your Spirit to work in the church, throughout our country, throughout the world, uh, and allow us to be the body of Christ and to live out the values of the King wherever we are. And I pray that the church particularly would minister to these families and that you would receive glory even in tragedy. So we commit this to you, God, and we recognize that you are the great King and the great Lord And uh, you're the one who loves them more than us. And we ask for your help for these families. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, we're looking at Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 26. We are trudging through Luke chapter 5, and I'm excited to share this passage with you. In this passage, we find for the first time the word faith comes up in the Gospel of Luke, and for the first time, the Pharisees and teachers of the law are introduced to us here in this passage. But Luke is continuing, he's continuing to build his case for who Jesus is to lay out for this guy Theophilus in an orderly way a description of who Jesus was and really a declaration of who Jesus is. And uh, we're going to look at that. Right after we look at Luke chapter 4, we looked at this last week. I wanted to read this again because this is Jesus' declaration uh, of intent, his manifesto to, uh, uh, to Luke anyway, that Luke would would pull this little incident out of his time in the tabernacle at Nazareth when Jesus was handed the scroll from Isaiah and he read these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has come to proclaim the ultimate year of Jubilee when he, the Savior, the Messiah, is in the world. And he's in Israel, but he's not only for Israel. He's not only for the Jewish people, but he is for all of those who will, like Abraham, believe in him, and he will then give righteousness to those of us who will believe in him. So just one more week, maybe just one more week, I couldn't resist one more help wanted. Help wanted disciples, disciples of Jesus, must be willing to dirty your hands, stain your clothes, and possibly tarnish your image. Cross-carrying mandatory, baptism required, and obedience to all that the Lord has commanded us is expected. Zero entrance fee, simply commit your life. Apply at heavenhelpwanted.com. Have any of you gone there yet? Anybody? Oh, oh, good, one. Oh, thank goodness there's a lady. Oh, two, there's two. We have a curious people. So now don't do it during the service. After the service, it'll make a little more sense if you go to heavenhelpwanted.com, which, by the way, is owned and operated by yours truly and Pastor John. We both went in on it together. I don't know what we're going to do with it, but we're having fun with it these days anyway. So Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, we're going to see two sections here. Two sections that Luke kind of stitches together, and he kind of makes them one. And the way the verses and the chapters are, that's all after the fact. You know, people went in and did this afterwards. But there are two sections, and the first one starts out like this. Well, Jesus was in one of the towns. Which town? It doesn't matter when. It it doesn't really matter when or where. Well, he was in one of the towns. And earlier in Luke 2... Luke went to great pains to to locate exactly when it was and where it was that this child should be born, who was ruling in the the culture of that day and which year of their reign and all of that in in the towns. But but here he doesn't care because he's telling us about something that happened and he wants us to know what happened. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered, covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him. I wonder if you've ever begged anybody. But he begged Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, when I'm reading Scripture, I'm always trying to imagine in my mind what this actually looked like. So uh, I found something years ago, and every once in a while I go back to it to illustrate something. But would you watch this for me? I think this is really cool. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing... You can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. 
speak clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. said to him uh, see that you don't tell anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to him. <laughs> now don't you love a Jesus who's not LSD Jesus right he's he's actually smiling and laughing and he's portrayed as a real person and I love this guy who plays Jesus because I I think I think he looks just like how I would think of Jesus And Jesus said to the man, he said, I am willing, be clean. Now, what Jesus did is, is he touched the guy. He touched the guy. So in the next passage there in Luke, that was from Matthew. But in Luke it says that Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. If you go back to Leviticus 14, there's this long section about what people that were cleansed from leprosy would have to do to be declared clean. I mean, there's like 32 long verses where they had to go to the tabernacle and the priest had to take blood and put it on their right earlobe and on their right thumb and on their right big toe and then like take some birds and kill one of them and take some oil and then put oil on the right earlobe and on the right thumb and on the right big toe and then sprinkle this and then dip the live bird in some blood and sprinkle this and that. And then if the person didn't have enough money for the, the, the lambs and all this stuff, then they had a, a plan B for this person who was cleansed from leprosy. And they had to go through all of this stuff and they got to the end of it with the right earlobe and the right thumb and the right big toe. And then, and then they were cleansed. And Jesus somehow has the presence of mind to tell, in, in all of that healing, to tell the guy, hey, you still got to go to the tabernacle and be obedient to the law of Moses. But now just a few seconds before that, Jesus touches this guy who's covered with leprosy. And you know, you weren't supposed to do that. So my question for you is, was Jesus unclean when he touched the man? Yeah. According to the tradition of the elders. According to the tradition of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He was in that moment unclean. But I have another question. Was Jesus under the law? Was he under the law? So, first service, I had answers the first service. Nobody's, everybody's being non-committal. Like, I would never answer. If I were you, I would never answer either. No, I wouldn't. I, I'll just sit there. I won't say anything. But Jesus, yes, he was under the law because he was a man who was a Jew in Israel. But was Jesus under the law? No, he wasn't under the law. He was the law. Jesus was the law. He, he wrote the law out of his heart. He, he embodied the law. Whatever he did 
by definition, by essence, by DNA, was lawful. Was lawful. So Jesus decided that he wanted to break the tradition of the elders in order to reach out to this guy and to declare him clean. Because Jesus says, I am willing. You ever go to God and say, Lord, you know, if you're willing, this is, this is my request for you. And you ever think that God says, no, nah, I'm not willing. You know, we, we kind of know better. We know he is willing. We just don't know when or how, right? But ultimately, even so come Lord Jesus, right? Jesus comes in the end, and everybody's restored and reconciled who have placed their faith in him and whom God decides is to be restored and reconciled because God decides who has faith. So Jesus reaches out to this guy and becomes unclean according to the tradition of the elders, but he's teaching us a very important thing. And he teaches Peter this later on in the New Testament. What I have declared clean, don't you call unclean. And so Jesus touched him, and it says immediately the leprosy, he was cured. He was cleansed of his leprosy. And he tells him, now, you know, don't tell anybody, but go and do this. But verse 12, or or verse 15 says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And in this passage, Jesus teaches us something. The crowds were coming to him. He had success. His followers around him would have been like, oh, wow, Jesus, woohoo! you're doing it, man. Look at all these people. They're coming past the plate, right? Let's fleece the flock. Let's get a little, let's get a little bit of uh, moolah, a little cheddar in here. They would have thought, Jesus, you're so successful. But what was Jesus doing? He was retreating to a solitary, lonely place, and he prayed. And he teaches us when, when the storms are raging, whether they're storms of trial or storms of success, when they rage, we have to disengage. That's when we need to spend time with the Father. That's when we need to spend time with God. When success is raging, we're disengaging from it, and we're declaring our dependence upon God. Because when we're successful, who are we crediting? Ourselves, right? Hey, I I did it. I did it. You know, I'm successful. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was going to solitary places, lonely places. He was spending time with the Father. And that's a great example for us. So are you successful right now? Things going real well? You know, your, your New Year's resolutions, man, you're hitting them all. Things are going well. Go to the lonely place and spend time in prayer. Talk to God, declare your dependence on him. And thank him for what he's allowing you to do. Because it's not us, right? It's not our success. It's his kingdom that we live for. So in verse 17, it starts another section. So the first section was where he healed this guy of his leprosy. He touched him and he declared that he was clean. The next section, in verse 17, it says one day Jesus was teaching. Which day? We don't know. It's not important. Luke is just saying, 
There was this day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. Here's where the bad guys show up. The guys like me, and Pastor Bo, and Pastor Jason, and Pastor John, and Director Londa. We're the bad guys. We're the religious leaders. The ones who want to you to do what we say, but we don't live as we do. That's Matthew chapter 23. That's Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, speaking to the Pharisees, calling them a brood of vipers. You know, when I was younger, I used to read that passage and I used to think, oh man, I am so glad I'm not like the Pharisees. Like, I I really thought that. I was happy because they were bad. They were so hypocritical. They like, they just didn't do anything right. And I used to read about them and think, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like them. But the older I get, the more I realize, dear Lord, help, help me not to be so much like them. I, I realize how easy it is to be pharisaical, how easy it is to like, we're not doing what we really want to do, and the things that we want to do, we don't do. The things that we don't want to do, we do, right? That's Paul in Romans chapter 7. So, here, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were sitting there. And when the Pharisees are sitting, they're in a seat of authority. And often they're teaching when they're sitting down. Or here, probably, it says, it says they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Without social media, without crowdsourcing, all of a sudden they all show up from all the towns around Galilee, northern Israel, and from as far away as Jerusalem and in the areas around Jerusalem and Judea. And here they are, and they're checking out Jesus. And they want to know, who is this guy? Is this guy legit? We've heard about him, and now we're here to judge whether or not he's legitimate. But it says here that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. It's the Holy Spirit. right? We've seen already in Luke that the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven, and and the Holy Spirit takes Jesus into the wilderness, and Jesus emerges and goes forth in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Now, these guys, uh, you've maybe heard this passage taught before, I have, and they get into the, kind of the mechanics of the house and how they were built back then and what they would have had to do and how they'd have to dig with their bare fingernails through mud and straw and all this stuff, dried and caked and all that. I have no idea about that because Luke doesn't tell us about it. It just said, in fact, Luke, Luke calls it um, um, tiles. So in verse 19 it says, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they couldn't get this guy into the house before, in front of Jesus. They went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. These guys had a friend who was sick. They knew, they knew Jesus could heal him. They didn't know if he would, but they thought if we could get an audience with Jesus, drop our guy right in front of him, we'll see what Jesus will do. In verse 20, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of all of these guys, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is the first time faith is mentioned in the book of Luke. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, this guy, I don't know if you were this guy, 
you might say to yourself, um, or say to Jesus, uh, am I in the wrong department? I didn't come here to get my sins forgiven. I came here to be healed because I've been paralyzed. Or did he maybe think, wow, I'm getting, I'm getting doubly blessed here. My sins are even forgiven. Jesus is forgiving my sins. We don't really know. We'll probably never know unless we see this guy someday and we can ask him. But the key here is that Jesus was forgiving sins. With the Pharisees and the teachers of the law sitting over here in judgment on him. Checking out what he was teaching and what he was doing. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus probably thought, that, that's a good question. But God alone, right? If you keep asking that question, you might right, end up in the right place. That yeah, it's exactly true. God alone can forgive sins. You're exactly right. But they were questioning Jesus because they knew that only God could forgive sins and yet Jesus was forgiving sins. Therefore, he's a false teacher. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Hmm? Which is easier? Well, you could say either one of them, but which is easier to have the results from? Well, for this, for this paralyzed guy to actually get up and walk, that would be the harder thing, Jesus. And he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. So Jesus here gives an example, a display of not only the authority to forgive sins, but that the power of God through him, or he is the power of God, or the Holy Spirit through him, or the Trinity figures out how to validate that forgiveness and authenticate Jesus' message by allowing this guy to get up, take his mat, and go home, which is what he does. So the Pharisees didn't like this, but look at the people, verse 26. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Sounds like kind of an understatement, doesn't it? We have seen remarkable things. It's amazing. They were amazed, and it caused them to praise God. Similar to Acts chapter 2, when it says that that the, the people, they were enjoying favor with all the people. The people were amazed. They were in awe. And the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. Sounds a lot like Acts chapter chapter 2. Jesus is working, and people are pointed to the Father. So, what's this passage say? Well, Jesus healed a man of leprosy. He even touched him, which was scandalous. Jesus also healed a man who'd been paralyzed, and he even forgave his sins, which was scandalous. Notice that the healings were kind of secondary in the religious leaders' minds. Oh, you touched somebody who's unclean. Oh, you said you forgive sins. Like they almost would look past the the healing because he wasn't fitting into their religious paradigm. So enter the Pharisees and teachers of the law who did not like that part, the forgiving sins part. 
The people loved it all and were filled with awe, praising God. So, some of what this means. Uh, Jesus has the power to heal the sick. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. He's displaying messianic characteristics and virtues and actions. Jesus is doing something only Elisha did last. So, he is acting like a prophet of old. He's declaring the word of God, and then miracles are happening at his fingertips. And this is new. This isn't, has not happened in all of Israel in hundreds of years. Jesus is doing, or he's ushering in a new age, the kingdom age. And Luke is continuing to build his case for Christ. Somebody should write a book called The Case for Christ. That would be good. But, but Luke started it. Luke is building his case for Christ in this letter he's writing to this guy named Theophilus. So here's what I think is the important part. How does it affect me? How does this passage affect us? Jesus is willing to touch and heal the worst. Jesus in this passage was ministering to the rejected of society, the sick and the lame. So we both are the rejected and we must also embrace the rejected. See, as we look at this passage, we're we're the lame guy. We're the paralytic being lowered on the mat. We're the leper who comes to Jesus and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing. Because I'm unclean. Like the guy who says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Not like the other guy who thought he was righteous, but we're the ones, we're we're the leper and we're the paralyzed. But we also must embrace those who are social outcasts, those who are on the... Now, we've been saying this for a week after... I'm getting tired of talking about it. But, but Luke keeps reinforcing the message. He keeps reinforcing this value, this principle, that we are to embrace those the culture doesn't embrace. We're to accept those the culture rejects. Because those are the people that Jesus accepted. And those are the people that Jesus uh, uh, embraced. So the question is, um, when we read the, the red letters of the Bible, do we read that and say, Jesus, teach me how I'm supposed to live? Or do we read it and say, oh, I can accept it or I can take it or leave it? Ah, these I'll take and these I'll, these I'll leave. I'll pick and choose. I mean, after all, this is a democratic society, right? Right? I have, my, I have my opinion. I have my vote. I can choose. See, our culture teaches us that. Our culture teaches us that, you know, one person, one vote. But, you know, in the kingdom, it's the same. It's one person, one vote. You know who the person is, right? The king. The king gets the one vote. And as disciples and followers of Jesus, we follow the king. So the king's heart decides how our hearts are supposed to be. Like, we don't get to decide that. Here's what we decide. Will I follow or won't I? Am I going to follow Jesus or not? Every day, right? Every hour, we're wrestling and battling that. I am. I am. I get you tired of it after a while, right? You're like, why, why doesn't me, myself, follow my heart better? Or why doesn't my heart beat like Jesus' heart beats better? But that's, that's the road of the disciple. 
the way of sacrifice and the way of denying yourself and following Jesus. It's always going to be a battle in front of us to follow Jesus, because that's the call. Because it's one person, one vote in the kingdom, and the one person is Jesus. So how does it affect me? Do I, do you submit to the authority of Jesus in our own lives? He alone has authority to forgive sins. Have we approached him in faith, believing he can heal even us? So let me ask you this question. If Jesus, if God through Jesus has forgiven your sins, can you forgive yourself? Or are you still dragging that load behind you? Reminds me of this story about uh, Bob. He went golfing with Bill. Some of you have heard this story. Bob loved golfing. He was looking forward to this day for a long time. He met Bill on the, on the first hole at 6 o'clock in the morning, and he was so excited. 11.30 that night, his wife was about ready to pick up the phone and call the police when Bob dragged his sorry behind into the house, just sweating, dirty, dusty. She said, Bob, what happened to you? Because, oh, it was terrible, it was terrible. In the first hole, I teed off, and I had a great drive, and, and then Bill teed off, and he swung it really hard, and when his club got all the way up, he clutched his chest, and he fell over, and he dropped right there of a heart attack. Oh, Bob, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You must have had a horrible day. He said, I did, honey. I had a terrible day. I mean, it was, uh, it was hit the ball and drag Bill and hit the ball and drag Bill and hit the ball and drag Bill. It was terrible. It was hard. You ever get lost in an illustration and you don't even know where you started from? Well, that's, that's me right now. It's terrible. It's a good story, but I have no idea what I was trying to what I was trying to teach through it. But if you go back on the video, you'll, you'll, you'll see it. Um, he alone has the power to change our lives, bringing forgiveness and fulfillment. Will we let him? So here's the bottom line, the bottom line. Jesus, the Messiah of Israel and Savior of the world, has come to forgive, heal, and make whole. He only requires our faith. But he requires our faith. He requires our faith. Will we be a part of a community of those trusting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? See, and this is another point that we're going to see throughout the book of Luke. It goes along with this whole concept of a kingdom. And that is that our faith, while it is personal, it is not individual. See, in our culture, we, we, we value individualism. This, this, this rugged individualism, right? We say in America, we value the individual and, and, us, and us taking, you know, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. But in the body of Christ, it's not that way. Our faith may be personal, but it's not individual. It's communal. It's corporate. We, we, we become part of the body of Christ, right? And each one of us is a separate and necessary part of it, 1 Corinthians 12 teaches so when we come to Jesus, we come into the family of believers. We come into the kingdom of God. And he's the king. He's the head over the body. He's the king over the kingdom. So the question is, will we be a part of a community of those trusting Jesus Christ as Savior, but also as Lord? 
We're never made to walk this path alone. We were made to walk it together, to help each other. And will we accept the king and enter his kingdom? These are the questions that Luke is going to bring up all throughout because Luke talks about Jesus' miracles, Jesus' teaching, and the opposition against Jesus. The opposition that's so bad, it actually kills him in the end. But throughout his miracles and his teachings, he's validated as Jesus the Messiah. And then on the cross, he is, he is it's fulfilled. Jesus the Messiah becomes the Savior of the world. And we place our faith in him, and we're changed. And then he places himself in us through his spirit, and he wants to change the world through his body. And we're going to see as we go through Luke, the communal aspect of those who follow Jesus, how they were there for each other, and it wasn't a one-person show. Now, I just want to go back quickly to Luke chapter 6 and just read what we ended with last week because I think this is important. Going back, we're not even to Luke chapter 6 yet, but we're looking at it already. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And about every American who hears those words say, what does that mean? It doesn't look blessed. <laughs> well, I mean, what does it mean, right? Because we, we're in America, we literally did want, 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 want. We don't know what that means, to be poor and hungry, and to weep. We want to run from that. And Jesus is saying, no. No, why? Why? Because the outcasts and those in the peripheral, those who are rejected in society, they're usually poor, and they're hungry, and they're weeping. And Jesus has come for them. And we are the poor, the hungry, and the weeping. In verse 24, he says, but woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now and have no regard for the poor and don't feed the hungry, for you will go hungry. And woe to you who laugh now and think not of those around you who are weeping, for you will mourn and weep. So the message of the kingdom and the gospel of Luke is an amazing message. And the message in that day, it went to those who were the outcasts of society. The problem is, those of us in this church, we're generally not the outcasts of the society we live in. So we're going to have to figure that out. We're going to have to figure that out because Jesus calls us to the outcasts in our society. And we figure out that we both actually spiritually are the outcasts. We are. But then we're also to be like him and go to those that we really would rather not go to. And that's a challenge. And that's a message that he unfolds over and over in the Gospel of Luke. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that Jesus would embrace this man with leprosy. We thank you that Jesus would have compassion on a paralyzed man and realize that he needed his sins forgiven before he needed his legs made whole. And God, I pray that you would help us to realize that 
that we are the leper. We are the paralytic. We are the person who needs you, Lord Jesus. We are the, the sinner who needs to be forgiven, who needs to be told your sins are forgiven. And then we need to embrace that and then go forth as the body of Christ and reach out to those who also are outcasts and are on the outside looking in. So God, I pray that you would help us this week as a body of believers as we go out in our communities. Help us to love you and in loving you to love others, to be the body of Christ, to share the love of Jesus with those people that we're with and, and to make a difference and make an impact in the world for the kingdom of God. God, I pray that if there's some here this morning who are struggling, who are hurting, who are grieving, uh, who are, find themselves wanting in whatever way, I pray that you would meet their needs, Lord. I pray that this body together as we come around each other would meet needs and would build each other up. And I pray that if there's one here this morning who has never believed in you and what you did on the cross, that they would place their faith in you, Jesus, as their only Savior. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.